0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 3, David Platt provides a condensed training course in how to study the Bible. We will consider why this one book is so critical to our faith. For the Secret Church 3 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net. And this is Secret Church 3, Episode 1. Do you have a Bible? And I hope you do. For crying out loud, let's learn how to study what's in your hands. Let me invite you to pull out this study guide that many of you received when you came in. Just got word that not everyone received one of these. And uh, we are in the process right now of making extra copies. And so... I don't, I don't see the people who have those right yet, and so what's going to happen is in the next few minutes, we're going to go ahead and dive in and get started. In the next few minutes, there's going to be some people who will walk through some of the aisles and uh, have some books with them, and so if, certainly if you have any extra books, that'd be, if you've, if you've uh, if you got extras, that would be great to take those and to the back and, and get those disseminated to some other folks. That would be uh, wonderful. Um, but if you, uh, if you don't have one, you don't get one, uh, in the next few minutes there's going to be some people, and we're going to have enough for everybody, so don't, you don't have to, only if it's extra at this point, uh, I'll, I'll ask some, some of the leaders of the church to give theirs up if we can't find any others, but we're in the process of copying some. So uh, you just raise your hand, when, or get somebody's attention, we'll have folks walking through with books, and uh, we've just got haphazard, just uh, chaos going on right now. Just find a book. Uh, um, if you don't have a book after the end of this first session, uh, meet in the portal, middle portal back here, and we'll make sure to have a place for you to get them there. Uh, all right. You're going to need that book. It is, uh, it is loaded with stuff. Uh, and I mean loaded. Um, some of you are sitting here thinking, we've got a long night ahead, and we do. We've got a long night ahead, so kind of get, get ready. Uh, you know, there there will be times where you will want to uh, to stand up and kind of stand on the side. Feel free to do that. Uh, just take a walk during this thing. We got a long night ahead of us. If you get tired, feel free. To just come and stick your head in the baptistry. It'll wake you up, and uh, and you just do whatever it takes. Uh, um, the first time I had the opportunity to be in Indonesia was a couple of years ago, and I was teaching at an Indonesian seminary. Indonesia is the largest Muslim-dominated nation in the world. And in this particular seminary, in order to graduate from this seminary, every student has to plant a church in a Muslim community with at least 30 new baptized believers. It's master's degree as well as undergraduate degree. How many college students would go to a place where the requirement to graduate is to plant a church in a Muslim community with at least 30 new baptized believers. I spoke at their graduation, all host of students sitting in front of me that had all done that, every single one of them, and planted a church in a Muslim community with at least 30 new baptized believers. Two of their classmates that year had died in the process. And tonight we're going to hear from Indonesia, and we're going to pray for persecuted brothers in that area of the world, brothers and sisters there, and then we're going to study on their behalf. I want to remind you from the very beginning, especially if this is the first time you've ever been to Secret Church, I want to remind you that the goal tonight is not to entertain. My goal tonight is equip is to equip an army in this room that will be mobilized and able to leave this place and to go into all nations teaching people how to study the Bible. If your goal tonight is to learn how to study the Bible, your goal is far too small. The goal is that you would walk out of here tonight not only knowing how to study the Bible, but knowing how to teach someone else how to study the Bible. If it stops with us, then we will miss the whole point of the Gospel. God, raise up a church that is no longer content to receive the Word of God. We are reproducers of the Word of God. You are going to begin I hope, I pray, at least something good in the next six hours. And I pray that anything good you receive will not just stop with you. I pray that it will spread through you. What we're doing, and and you see video cameras around around the room, the whole point is... We're taping what we do tonight and then translating it into Spanish and French and German and Chinese and Indonesian, Swahili, all of these different languages. And the goal is that after we've done these, we will be able to not only go out ourselves, but to take resources with us and go into Indonesia and have in their language how to study the Bible and overview the Old Testament, overview the New Testament, all translated in their language. So what we do here tonight is so much more than what's going on in this room. So you've got these notes, let me encourage you to take good notes. Uh, People have said one of the keys at Secret Church is to be sitting next to somebody who's taking good notes because you're always missing blanks. What was that? What was this? So feel free to lean on each other, the people who are sitting around you. Um, Hopefully, you've made a wise choice in the persons you're sitting next to. And if you don't know that person, you will soon become good friends with them. But there's a lot of, I'll just let you know, this is information. All right. This is my time, all right? Uh, uh, this is information overload right here, and I, and I know that. That's kind of the goal. Uh, this is far more than for information than one person can digest in an evening. I hope that this will catapult you into deeper study beyond this evening and be able to walk through that. So don't expect to be able to soak in every single bit. My goal tonight is that every single one of us will be able to walk away with some practical steps on how to study the Bible and how to lead others to do that. So I hope that you'll, you'll see that. We will not be, in light of the, all the scriptures we're gonna look at, we actually won't be turning a lot in each of our Bibles. I've put a ton of scripture in here. And so I would encourage you to make notes in here on the sides about different scriptures that we look like, look at. And then you'll have this to go back into your Bible and study each of those passages, look at each of those passages, make those notes. So right all over these pages, uh, not everything we talk about is included in here. I know you find that hard to Believe, but we will talk about some stuff that's not even in here. With that said, let's get started on the very front how to study the Bible, session one. I want us to read Psalm 19, 7 through 11, together. You've got it listed there on the front page of your notes. Let's read this out loud together. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. We have a treasure in our hands with the Bible. The word is perfect. It is perfect. This this book and the words contained herein, it is perfect. The word is relevant. We're going to see all of these things unfold tonight. The word is good. It is very, very good. The word is clear. The word is clear. It's not hard to understand. I hope that we see that tonight. The word is eternal. It lasts forever. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. The word is true. And here's the deal. The word is available. It's available. And I want us to pause for a second here and remember that we're indebted to a guy named Jerome. I don't know if you realize it or not, but Jerome has had a pretty big impact on your life. Jerome, back around 400 A.D., took the Bible and he translated it into Latin. It was a huge moment where the Bible was being translated into another language and being made made available to more people. Then came along a guy named John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe took took that Latin translation and he began to translate it into English. He was accused of being a heretic. He suffered persecution for his willingness to take the Bible and put it in the language of the common people. Those who got it were threatened for even pulling it out. Then came a guy named William Tyndale. Tyndale took Wycliffe's translation of the Latin and made the first, first translation of the English from the Greek and the Hebrew and the Latin, pulling them all together. He attempted to cle- complete the whole Old Testament and the New Testament, but he didn't, didn't finish the Old Testament. He died in 1536. He was executed and his body was burned because of his commitment to translate the Bible. His associate, John Rogers, completed his work, the Old Testament. His associate, John Rogers, was martyred. The point is this. The Bible we hold in our hands is a result of men and women who have laid their lives down to give it to us. Far be it from us today to take this word and leave it on our, door, our doorsteps or on our chests by our beds at night and not dive into it and see what it means for our lives. We have a treasure that is in our hands called the Bible. It is worth giving our lives to study it this is the bible that we have now all of that picture the word is available not only that but there is a need for translations the total world languages in the world are 6,912 you know how many languages have no bible still 2,286 2,286 languages in the world still do not have a translation of the Bible. I am praying that the reason some of you are here tonight is so that you will experience a conviction from the Spirit of God to rise up and say I'm going to learn a language and I'm going to translate this word into that language. I pray that that will be a ra- reality across this room. This is a non-negotiable for a church that believes we are looking forward to a day when in a multitude that no one could count from every tribe, every people, every nation, every language will bow around the throne and sing the praise. Of our Savior. If we want that, if we're looking forward to that, then we will take 2,286 languages and make the Bible available to those people. The question of translations. Many people ask me all the time, Pastor, which translation should I use? And we all know there are just tons of English translations. I listed some of them. The Open Bible, the Thomson Chain Reference Study Bible, the NRSV Access Bible, the Life Application Study Bible, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, also known as the Hardcore Southern Baptist Bible, the <laughs> NIV... The NIV Study Bible, the Ryrie Study Bible, the NKJV Women's Study Bible, the KJV Promise Keepers Men's Study Bible, the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, the Living Bible, and then we've got the New Living Bible. So what do you do with all these different translations? I want to encourage you as you think about what translation you use of the Bible to look at the process behind the translation. And there's a process that goes behind any translation. And here's how it works. It starts with a divine author, God. God breathes his word through human instruments. So you've got a divine author and human authors. The book we hold in our hand has dual authorship. The spirit of God and the men who have put these words down that God has breathed into them. You've got a divine author, human authors, and then you've got what they wrote, the original text. But then you've got from there copies of the original text. And what we've got is a book that was written literally thousands of years ago. And we've got copies of the original text that go as far back as possible, but not to the very. We don't have the exact letter that this person wrote down or that person wrote on. And so we want to get back as far as we can to the copies of the original text. This is personally why i don 't recommend the King James Version Bible, and if you just love the King James, then please don 't take offense to this but since the King James was translated in one thousand six hundred and eleven we found text that went back further than that, and so we 've got more accurate pictures of the text before that. not that the King, King James is bad, but we want to get as close as we can to the original copies of the copies of the original text that leads to a critical text, and what I mean by that is you 've got this fragment of this text here and this fragment of this text here, and you put them all together and You've got a critical text, which basically means there's maybe a little difference here a little difference there, and you put them all together and you try to figure out exactly what, as best as possible, how do we know what the original text was saying. So that's what I mean by critical text. And then you've got people who take the critical text, either a translator or a translation team, and bring that text into contemporary culture. I want to encourage you. Some people do this on their own, one translator, and some of the instances I gave you were a translator. It is wisest to look for Bible translations that have a translation team behind them a pool of scholars that have worked together, not just one person trying to figure out what this whole deal means, but leaning on each other, different experts in different parts of biblical history and biblical portraits and biblical books. You bring all those experts together. I think it's important to look at who's the translation team behind any translation we have of the Bible. Then that leads the translation to the contemporary reader. Now what you've got is with all these different translations that I mentioned, you've got a continuum that's basically all from one side to the other. One side is the formal approach, which is a word-for-word approach to translating the Bible. And basically it's saying, here's the Bible. We're going to translate it word-for-word as best as we can. A very literal translation. Examples might be be the King James or New King James Version or the New American Standard Version. Very literal. Sometimes even wooden uh, because it's word-for-word. And then on the other side, you've got... A more functional approach, a thought-for-thought approach to translating the Bible, which basically means instead of doing every word by every word, they kind of take all the words together, look at the thought, and then try to translate the thought. The extreme on this side would be the message or the living Bible, more of a paraphrase many times than a translation. And so you got this continuum from word-to-word word and thought-for-thought. My recommendation, this is my personal recommendation when it comes to English translations or any translations along this continuum, is to find either somewhere in the middle or somewhere towards the word-for-word. That's why I would recommend and why I put in there, you've got the NIV, which is what I use, which is pretty close to the middle. That's what I use to preach from. When I study the word, many times I use one step over towards the word-for-word would be the English Standard Version, which I highly recommend. It's a great translation. It's more word-for-word, but it still is not quite as wooden as the next one to the right, which would be a New American Standard version. So that's just some thoughts on translation. It's an overview of what, how how I think we need to think about translations. Word for word, thought for thought. If you're going to lean anywhere, lean toward the word for word. Now, that's the Bible we study. I think we need to ask the question, why we don't study the Bible ever since we Ever since we said, this is what we're going to do tonight at Secret Church, so many people have come up to me and said, I've been a Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and I've never learned to study the Bible. Why is that? Here's some phrases I think that might capture why that is. Number one, we think, even if we don't say, we think, I don't see how the Bible really applies to my life. I think this may be the number one reason why people are not studying God's Word today. We think it's archaic, out of date. And I think we've all struggled with this a time or two, reading through Leviticus or Deuteronomy or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, some of the visions there. What does this really have to do with life in the 21st century? Does it really apply to my life? A second phrase, I've tried, but I just don't know how to study the Bible, I'm guessing there's people all across this room who have gone to some conference or had a spiritual experience where you have said I need to learn the word more and so you've sat down to learn the word you've opened it up but you haven't known anywhere where to start what to do now and all of these things that people say are in the word you just can't find them you're not seeing it at all and you've gotten frustrated because you just you just don't know how to do it a third phrase I'm not a professional isn't that the pastor's job this is my favorite The pastor understands all that stuff. And besides, if I have a problem, problem, I'll go to him. The only problem with that is that opens up the door for 5,000 emails every single week asking the pastor what this passage or that passage means. Now that may sound like a good thing to those who are sending the email, but it's not that good thing to receive all those emails. And so here's the deal. Not that the pastor is not open to helping you study the Bible, but one of the things that I realized as I was preparing this, one of the things that really excites me most is there was a point when I was was studying to get ready for tonight, where it hit me, if they really get what we're talking about, they won't need me anymore. (laughs) And it was kind of this feeling that Rose, and part of me was kind of mad, like maybe I shouldn't give them all the trade secrets, you know, like maybe I should (laughs) hold some back so they'll still, you know, want me. And so I kind of had that wrestling, but isn't isn't that the beauty of it, that that it is possible for me not to be the only one or a church leader not to be the only one who is able to unlock the beauty of God's word. That God's actually designed this thing so that every single person in this room is enabled to unlock the beauty of God's word. And I'm leaning on the fact that even if you do get get all this, that you will still need me. And I came back around to this, that you'll still want me. Because I think this would transform the way we come to worship on Sundays. I think it would transform the way we approach our study of the word. We would now come together, and I'm uncovering truths in God's word that you're saying, well, I already knew that, or I already got that. And it's just affirming that. And we've got an expectation for what we're going to do every time we open the word together. And so... Let's not think I'm not a professional. Isn't that the pastor's job? Isn't that what we're paying him to do? All right. Next, I just don't have time. I just don't have time, and this is valid. I have a seventy-hour work week. I I stay at home with the kids all day. If I've got twenty minutes to myself, I just I don't have the mental energy to sit down and study the word. And even if I did, you can't really get into exhaustive study in a short twenty minutes. So I just don't have the time. And I think there's a lot of validity here. It's true. In order. To To study the Bible, you've got to have the time. I think the question we need to ask, though, is where does Bible study fit in on our priorities? That's the key question that we can't ignore. Where does Bible study fit in on our priorities? Many people across this room will have time tomorrow to sit for three hours in front of a TV. The question is do we have time to study the Bible on a daily basis? Is it a priority? Next, I'm not sure if the Bible is even true. I mean, Jonah and the big fish, that sort of thing is kind of hard to believe. Is the book really, is this book really true? Is it viable? And I think we're going to see tonight that it is completely reliable. It is completely true and completely authoritative. Finally, last thought that sometimes we have. To be honest, the Bible just seems boring to me. My goal tonight is to uncover the rich treasures of God's Word in front of you. That you see, it's not boring. That there is a hunger that God has designed for us to have for His Word. A craving for it. I've told the folks here at Brook Hills that when I first started dating Heather and the first time I went over to her house to have dinner... I grew up in a home where we never ate seafood. Dad hated seafood, so we all hated seafood. We didn't have anything to do with it. We got o- I got over to Heather's house that night. First girl I've ever dated. First time I've been in this situation, eating dinner with the family. And you'll never guess what they cooked. Seafood. Seafood. And so they put seafood down, and I look down, and I think, well, I can't blow this. Like, this is my first girlfriend, so I really would like to keep this going as long as possible. And so I looked at them, and I said, this meal looks great. And I began to just, just, just play it up. I love seafood. This looks so good. And I'm eating it and just kind of hiding my real emotions and saying, oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. The only problem was they bought it. And so every single time after that, when I would eat with Heather's family, you'll never guess what They cooked. Oh, seafood. David loves seafood, so we'll cook seafood. And so I couldn't get out of that right now. And so every time I went to eat, I ate seafood. Whenever we go on vacation with the other family, well, Dave loves seafood. Let's get some seafood tonight. And so the deal is today I love seafood. And the only reason is because I had to learn to love seafood. The more I ate seafood, the more my taste developed for it. Maybe the reason we have found the Bible not good, maybe the reason we've found it boring is because we've never really tasted it. Because I'm convinced the more we taste it, the more that hunger, the more that craving will grow and we will stand in awe. The Bible says we will tremble in awe of what it says. This book is not boring. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.